It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show today is Paul Cherry. Paul is president of Performance-Based Results. He's also the author of Questions That Sell, The Powerful Process for Discovering What Your Customer Really Wants, and has a new book coming up called The Closer, Be successful sale, be, a, be the Successful Sales Pro. Sorry for stumbling over that. Steal the lead, seal the deal. Paul Cherry, welcome to Accelerate. Oh, thank you, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. So take a minute, introduce yourself. How'd you get your start in sales? Well, I ended up uh, getting a master's degree in public administration, and I did a six-month uh, stint uh, for the state government of Delaware. And I realized the bureaucracy and uh, limitations. I quickly realized uh, I wanted to get in the private sector. My dad sold for 35 years, and I thought, what better thing to do than to follow in his footsteps and to get in sales? And I started with the Bell Telephone Company at the time. Mm-hmm. The, Yellow Pages directories, which that was prior to the days of the internet. What is Yellow anti- Pages? What are those? <laughs> exactly. That's right. Everybody now, guess what they use to look things up? Google. So, but in its heyday, it was just a wonderful opportunity, Andy, because I got to call on every type of organization from um, a one person startup to Fortune 500 companies. And I did that for five years, and it was just wonderful to get exposed. Uh, to all the selling cop, uh, concepts and phenomenal training. Right. So that is a little bit about my background. And then what was the impetus to start your own company? Well, I worked for a major training organization, and uh, it was in the publishing field. And we were a small entity, and we did that for five years. The leads were drying up. And uh, the owner of the company said, uh, I think uh, we're going to be shutting down the training organization, the arm. So I said, okay, well, where's my... Uh, is there going to be any kind of uh, pay or support afterwards to close this? Nope, you're on your own as of today. So literally, I had two choices, Andy, and that was either go home and drink or get on the phone and start making calls. And I chose the latter, and that was to make calls and introduce myself to all my established customers and new customers. And I look at that because one year later, after exiting that company, I, I doubled my revenue. And if there's only one regret, I wish that uh, the owner would have told me that they would have ended it sooner. So from there, uh, I've been doing this for 15 years on my own, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. So what type of companies do you primarily work with? I worked, I've worked with more than 1,200 organizations to date in every major industry. So, but primarily, I work in the business-to-business realm. And my area of expertise is all about advanced probing, advanced engagement strategies. And that is asking the right questions and listening, listening for what customers are saying, what they're not saying, and what's the hidden agenda or motivation in order to get to the heart of the sale. So So, what are the the keys to advanced probing, advanced discovery? Let's tell you, that's a great question. And in the 1,200 organizations that I've worked with to date, and, and, and the training programs that I put them through um, called Questions That Sell, The Powerful Process to Discover What Your Customers Really Want. Here's what happens, Andy. Uh, we get salespeople to break into small groups, and I say, okay, on your flip chart, 
write down all the questions that you ask your customers and prospects on a regular basis. They can be those first-time calls to those relationships you go back to. And typically, the questions are, how are you? How's it going? How's the family? How's business? What projects do you have coming up? Uh, how are we doing? How happy are you doing? Any problems, any needs, any challenges, budget, goals, wants? My point here is they're asking all these typical common questions, questions that every salesperson is asking in their industry, questions that are on the surface. Probably 87% of the questions that people ask are in the present. And if you think about that, Andy, where does a typical customer prefer to be? And that is in the future. So two things that salespeople need to be thinking about is stop asking so many questions of in the present because what are you doing? You're groveling, you're, you're fishing, you're, 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 you're moping. So think more about taking them well into the future. And I don't mean just in six months or even a year, but three to five years. Isn't part of this issue about, and I, I agree with where you're heading on this, is that too often salespeople are trained that you know, we're talking about the pain point, which is uh, you know, the present and, and the past, as opposed to what do you want to achieve? What are your objectives? You know, the, the things that are more aspirational, which is really where a company is driving towards. Yes, that, and that is very important to understand people's aspirations. Let me give you an example, because even myself, I fall into this trap and I teach this stuff all the time. Um, a client about two and a half years ago calls me up and said, Paul, uh, and this was a major manufacturing firm. They said, yeah, Paul, you worked with one of the sister companies we worked with, and we are bringing our people together for an annual meeting. Would like to know if you're going to be available on the 15th of January. Well, I looked at my calendar and I said, yes, as a matter of fact. So I said, well, let me ask you a few questions. Um, what do you want me to talk about? Number two, how many people? Number three, how long is the program for? Number four, what's the budget? Uh, think about it. You know, by the time I got to the fourth question, here's a couple of challenges that I, what was occurring. I was getting one word, two word answers. Number two, when I got to that fourth question, I realized that person, instead of engaging them and opening up, they were actually shutting down to the point that created some hesitancy, knowing that I felt like I was interrogating this person mm -hmm. or annoying this person. We've all been there, right? Right. And I realized, wait a minute, I need to back away from asking these types of questions. They have a purpose and a point. But I said, you know what, let me step back here. Let me understand the bigger picture before we go any further. So I said, next question was, tell me this, tell me some of the things where you see you and your organization where you'd like to be three to five years from now. So similar to what you just said, Andy, in terms of getting more into aspirations, four things happen when you ask a question. Number one, they acknowledge it. They say, wow, but they'll say, that's a great question. Number two, they start talking. Uh, number three, this person starts talking for literally four to five minutes straight, hiring new people, uh, expanding branches overseas, um, uh, opportunities, shortening the time to market, uh, and outsmarting the competitors. And then I said, wait a minute, let's, let's talk about a little bit about the past. Where were things a year ago and beyond and before? And then there was a little bit of silence. So what is he doing? He's thinking. And finally, he lets out a sigh and he says, you know, Paul, a year ago, things weren't too good. We got into this litigation issue, and as a result, 
we lost the opportunity, the, the patent. We had to close some plants, lay off some people. And as a result, we must have been 38% off our goals. So then I finally, my last question was, wait a minute, help me understand something here. Based on what you've shared with me, tell me, what's the potential impact on you and your organization if you don't achieve the goals you just shared with me? And what do you think his answer was? And that was, I'll probably be without a job. Yeah, we're all gone. And that's what he was, that's where I got to the heart of the matter, which was what? It was about job security. Job security and knowing it wasn't about hiring somebody to come in uh, to do a one day uh, or one hour program. What was it about? Really about ensuring uh, the security of the company, the people, and himself. Now, where am I going with this? Because I was able to come back to him, Andy, and say, you know, and in fairness to you, an organization for me to come in and to talk for an hour, my concerns are is that you might be wasting your time and resources, which forced him to ask me a question. And what was his question? It was, well, what do you think I should do? And isn't that what we want our customers and our prospects to do, to be open, open up, and really to engage and listen? And I said, in fairness to you and your organization, I don't know. But what we need to do is come, come in, sit down for a couple of days, meet your C-suite team, your management team, your operations team, your services and support, and find out some of the issues and challenges. And then we can make some recommendations. It turned out, Andy, to be our, our most lucrative, profitable customer. My point here is that when we listen to engage and understand, it puts us in a position of an authority of strength and power because it's, it, it allows us and empowers us and our customers don't always give people what they want, give them what they need. And that's my chance. That's what I, I try to convey with people is get deeper with your customers. So, really get into the mindset. Right. So what are some of the, the key questioning techniques you use for that? I mean, it's a very practical thing for people that are listening to the show to say it because I'm sure it's a common problem they have. What, what can you share with them? So as I was alluding to in the beginning is that if you look at those Anybody can do this, and I, I challenge them. Go out and just come up with your 10 most common questions you ask customers. Put them down on a piece of paper. And interesting enough, as I've done this program, is that you'll see the majority of the questions are the who's, the what's, the where's, the when's, the why's, which is fine. To shake things up, and, and number two, you'll see that the majority of the questions, 87% of the questions are in the present. So two things I want the, immediately a takeaway that people can apply is, is that think about asking, do a compare and contrast, explore more into the future. And it's real simple questions. It's like this, Andy, you know, as you look to 2017 and beyond, tell me where you see things going. And then coming back, how's that compared to where things are this year? And as you look back on last year, what's different? Or what's changed? I think those are very powerful ways to really understand connecting with people. Where are you coming from? Where are you today? Where do you want to be? And it's all based on time comparisons. And then we're not locked into just the present. So what you were telling me, we tap into aspirations, goals, needs, desires, but we also get more into the history. Because why? The history is the window to the future. Well, and I think what you're, what you're doing is, is the terminology I would use is that you're identifying also the gaps between where they are and where they want to be. Yes. And that's where the opportunity is, is in the gaps. Yes, yes. But yet what we find is 3 to 4% of the time, salespeople ask questions in the past. 
Why do you think they don't ask many questions in the past? Well, wait, only three to four percent ask in the past? Only three to four percent of their questions are in the past. Okay. Why do you think that is? I would have said more based on what you're saying. It's, it's, that seems small. I would have expected you to have said 90% of their questions are focused on the past or the present. I, oh, in the present, yes. 87% typically, 85 to 87% of the time are in the present. Rarely do uh, salespeople spend much time in the past. And the reason is the past is dead. It's history. It's closed. It's done. I can't make money in the past. I can only make money in the future. So that a lot of times they don't focus on the past. And I challenge salespeople and encourage them to get more into the past. Why? Because that's where you understand all about the past challenges, frustrations, their values, the organizational dynamics, the political hurdles, all the, all the things to sell into the future are where in the past. So that's what salespeople need to focus, focus more on. So it's context. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, Explain. you're creating a context for where they want to go based on what's happened in the past. I mean, how can exactly. you understand the present without understanding the past? So, yeah, that, that makes sense. There you go. So that's what, and so what I would say is understand that and, 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 and just shake up their questions a little bit more instead of just the who's, the what's, the where's, the why's. Even say, I'll give you an example because we get into this and the questions that sell book mm -hmm. and the other books where people are asking um, some of the, the questions such as, and probably most people wouldn't ask a question like this, but think I want to give us an extreme question, an extreme question such as, are you the decision maker? Now, is that a closed-ended or an open-ended question? Yeah, closed, right. Closed-ended question. Um, is that an important question to ask? Probably yes, right? However, is the question a little, would it be come across as a little bit um, offensive or intimidating or putting or belittling to somebody? Well, and the answer is? It could be, yeah. Yeah, it, it could be. could be presumptive. And my recommendation is, is that people, what they want to do is get away from some of the closed-ended questions and focus more, make them more open-ended questions. So when I get into descriptive openers, such as describe, tell me, share with me, walk me through, help me understand, look at some of, drop some of those W's and so salvage that, are you the decision maker? Make it more engaging. So a descriptive opener would be, describe for me the decision making process. That's all. Just by tweaking the front end of their questions, make them more engaging. So I encourage the listeners to explore those questions. So is the challenge uh, really when you're doing your training, is it getting sales professionals to really ask these questions or is it getting them to ask questions in general? It's to, it's to be, it's to, here's the, here's the litmus test of a good sales call. Who did most of the talking? If the salesperson did most of the talking, guess what? Not a good sales call. If the customer did most of the talking, great sales call. So what we want to encourage salespeople to spend more time is getting the customer to talk more. And just about half an hour ago, I just got a, uh, an email for a program we're putting together for a client. And he says, one of our number one objectives is that we want to create a more powerful, persuasive present presentation that's going to create a sense of urgency with our customers. So what did I do? I looked at their presentation, their PowerPoint. 40 slides, 40 slides. I'm thinking, 
guess who's doing all the talking in these presentations? Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a this is a first time call, and you're just you're setting yourself up for failure when you're going in on a first time call with forty slides. Well, the ideal answer is I should have no slides on that first call. <laughs> Isn't that right? So that's a challenge. It's trying to get them out of the mindset of that they always feel that they have to um, get into the solution mode. Okay, and I understand getting the solution mode, uh, but on your it's it's to whet the person's appetite to convey that credibility, that understanding, that credibility. But that should be something, you know, whether you're spending three minutes, four minutes, five minutes on a good, powerful, persuasive, value-opening statement, enough to convey the credibility, who you are, your industry expertise, type of clients that you work with, and maybe one or two stories. But then enough about you in that opening, then you've got to shift into where next? That's when you've got to shift into the discovery phase. And the discovery phase is... Enough about me. I'm here to learn about you and your organization, your customers. So tell me. See, tell well, me. Well, in, in that case, I mean, if the rep walks in and the first action of the rep is to open their laptop and connect yeah, it to a projector, that. yeah, you're sunk at that point. It is. And it's, you would think, and I think most people do intellectually. Salespeople understand this intellectually, the need to, to ask and engage and understand and listen. But, you know, as soon as we do our training sessions and then we say, okay, next day, let's go out in the field and let's make calls. And guess what happens? The salespeople typically revert to some of their previous conditioned habits. These are just hard habits to break. Now, there's a reason, you know, it's just, it's, there's a comfort level. Um, if what, if you, what, if you, what if you told them to leave their, leave their laptops or their tablets in the car? Exactly. And that's exactly what we do. It's a challenge for them. And a lot of times they just, they have to fight with me. And, but you know, what? and it's, and that's usually when there's so the light bulbs go on is that when we go out into the field and do exactly that, then it becomes more effective because it's not about you. It's about your customers. Exactly. See, so yeah, you, can't, you can't get around. So we all know it too, in a very fast paced environment where people feel they don't have enough time and they got to get to the point or whatever. Um, what we want to do is then if you're going to make, you know, the most important job of a salesperson is the time that they spend either face to face or on the phone with their customers. So it better be a good quality conversation. And that is you better, and you know what, you can only ask so many questions and that is you better ask the right questions, powerful, persuasive questions. And then even more importantly, Andy is you better listen. Listen for what the customer is saying. So then don't go in contrived and, you know, having your agenda of questions. But a lot of times, listen for how, where the customer's needs, frustrations, challenges, and go down that path to understand them and listen to them. Well, and that, that really, that listening is, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, right? I mean, it's, it's hard because... Yeah, people are distracted. People are thinking about that next question they're going to ask, and instead of being present and really just focusing on what the customer is telling them. And if you can put that is it. That is it. If you can put yourself into the present. So it's what happens is um, when that customer is talking about, for example, we're thinking about some alternative options to better grow our business. You know. Uh, and it's like we listen to that, and it's like, ah. Oh. Now, some salespeople, what are they going to think? They're going to think, ah, oh, buying signal, right? 
So what are they going to start doing next? Start talking, presenting ideas, giving some solutions, right? But a good salesperson is going to say, wait a minute, I heard some interesting information out of that statement. And the key now is, what is the word or the words that I can lock on to rather than thinking of my next question I'm going to ask? Because if I'm thinking of my next question, guess what? I'm not listening. So you're right if we put ourselves into the present. So I'll go right back to that statement I said again is we're thinking about some alternative options to better grow our business. So the word I might, and you have choices here. The key is which you only have one or two questions they ask. And I, I, the word I'd be locking on to, Andy, is say, well, wait a minute. You mentioned the word thinking. Tell me more about your thought process. Or another question, Andy, I might say similar would be is tell me about the criteria that you have in mind to ensure you achieve the right outcome. Well, one of the key parts of that, what you said there is really tell me more. I mean, that tell me more can be an incredible question just in itself. It can be, as long as you don't overdo it. Okay? Yeah, I mean, you, know, you can't be a two-year-old asking why, why, why. But I mean, Yes, 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 yes. But the other thing is, and go back to the listening, because I'll even ask you this, Andy. What was the first word I gave in that statement? <laughs> you got me. <laughs> You're not alone. You're not alone. The word was we. Okay? So what does that give me a clue to? other people involved, right? Right. Other decision makers, influencers. So my other question based on that same statement would be, as you mentioned we, who else is involved contributing to these ideas? Or tell me, tell me your criteria, what's important, and tell me what others are thinking. See, I need to understand that decision-making process, the buying criteria, the motivations. I need to understand. And they said the word thinking. I can get real deep into this, Andy, because what does thinking mean? Thinking means just uh, we're considering, we're entertaining, uh, we might do something. They're not in the have-to stage where they're ready to take action. So I, I challenge salespeople, when you hear those kind of clues, there's a desire, there's a motivation, there's a need, but it sounds like that person isn't ready to take action. I need to dive deeper, understand deeper what it is. Because when I'm going to present a solution, Andy, guess what? It better be meaningful. It better be impactful, and it better hit to the heart of the matters. Because if, when I step away, because assuming it's a complicated multi-step sales process, meaning I'm not going to close right, uh, right then, mm-hmm. but I have to have a call to action next step, I better make sure I'm really connecting with this person so I have a next step call to action. All right. But one of the one of the issues that we still get into with, with sales professionals, especially in B2B spaces, is that, again, the question's... Yeah, they're fairly routine. You know, sometimes even even trite. I mean, it's it's yes. So so it seems to me. I in my books, I talk about what I call a killer question, which is a question that forces the prospect to stop and think. Right? Correct. Something something they didn't expect. You know, someone Correct. else uh, told me. You know, another way to think about it is you know what through the question, what what you're doing is you're telling telling the customer something about their business they don't know but should uh yes i like that yeah can you give me an example well I mean, it could just be an insight into their industry or the way other companies are you know investing similarly to achieve certain value propositions certain outcomes you know it's something that's that is just sort of you know outside the linear sort of thought process because you know that yeah. there's sort of a 
I don't want to call it group think, but I mean, there's sort of a common thought process, you know, especially if they've talked to more than a couple of vendors. Yeah, you, you could be asking the right questions according to the scenario you're talking about, but they're still going to be pretty similar to the questions somebody similar, somebody similarly equipped for another company might have been asking. So the question is, you know, what are the questions you're asking that they hadn't been thinking they were going to get? Yes, that's it, that's it, that's it. And that's where people screw it up because they think you'll hear the word verbiage consultative selling. And that's just, to me, it's just spewing information. But you're absolutely right. It's, I need to, a couple things here. And this is according to the Gallup organization. Um, customers are 12 times more likely to buy and to continue to buy if you can create an emotional connection. Sure. And what we're, and what we're talking about is making people think, stepping outside of their comfort, comfort zone, thinking right. about things they never thought about before. That's key. Um, Why would, I, I would go so far and say people won't make a decision to buy without making an emotional connection. Yeah, but it's, and I mean, getting to the heart of the matter. I'm working with a client who has a, a half a million dollar managing account. And I said, okay, what exactly is this person's motivations? I don't know. But we have a great relationship. Well, you don't know the motivations and aspirations, where they see themselves three to five years in terms of their career. So, no, I don't know. It's like, well, it sounds like to me is you've got to get deeper into these relationships, okay, and have that emotional connection. But I, I do, if you've got a, a minute, let me give you an example sure. of what, when you, when you say make people think, because you're, you're onto something that's so important. Um, working with a medical device company, um, and we were going out in the field after our training. We call on the CEO doctor of a surgery center. Ten seconds into the conversation, the CEO doctor says, why do I want to buy from you? You're at least $10,000 more than your competition, and your technology is inferior. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's like, how do you respond to that? And the salesperson just did a beautiful job because it ties in with what you're saying about making people think. And he said, doctor, I appreciate you sharing that with me. But let me do this. Let me, let me ask you some questions to better understand. And that is the criteria that is important to you to ensure that you achieve the right outcome. And so the, the doctor started talking about criteria that was important to him. And that was basically minimizing risk, uh, operating on more patients on a daily basis, um, the ease of use, and less labor. So we said, okay, let's talk about minimized risk. When it comes to the newer technology, there's a learning curve, which means that there's always a risk, something new and different. Help me understand the implication on you and your practice, if, if, just if, that needle were just a fraction off of where it needs to be. And the doctor said, are you crazy? You're talking multi-million dollar lawsuit. I couldn't even imagine he just continued and he said, let's talk about patience. With the newer technology, there's a startup time and there's a ramp, uh, a downtime uh, with, with each patient. So how many patients with the current technology can you operate on versus the newer technology? He started thinking and said, well, probably 10 patients with the existing one. Newer technology, maybe, maybe eight. Well, what's that mean in terms of reimbursement for each patient? About $1,000 a patient. So that's $2,000 a day, right? What's that over the course of a week? Uh, 10000 over the month? Okay, 40000 over a year. Almost a half a million dollars. Last question was, let's talk about with the existing technology, how many clinicians does it take with the existing versus the newer one to use? Well, the existing one clinician with two, with the newer two clinicians. So what would it, what's it cost you hiring, attracting, retaining an additional clinician on your staff? Is that one hundred eighty, two hundred thousand dollars 
45 minutes later, what do you think the salesperson walked away with? Mm-hmm. A PO. Mm-hmm. Because he got the doctor to think, you know, getting away from in terms of the inferior technology, okay, or the price, but really to understand value, the value, the return on investment, the ease of use, the minimizing risk, um, and just achieving the right outcome. So it is. It's making people think. Take them outside of their comfort zone and look at things, you know, in the bigger perspective. Things that they're just, they always don't take the time to think about. Good salespeople do that. All right. So let's talk for a second about uh, your new book, The Closer. So what's the, what's the premise of this book? The Closer. The Closer is all about managing relationships, right? So salespeople are really good about developing relationships. This book is all about managing, managing the relationship. And that's hard for some salespeople, Andy, because we're talking about, you know, the goals, the expectations, achieving the right outcomes. So, you know, we, there's, an op- there's a time where there's the honeymoon phase where everybody really feels good. They like each other. It's a new product or the new solutions or whatever. But then as things continue to progress, then things might get a little bit rocky. So you'll see this, for example, in, 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 in certain environments especially when we're dealing with what we call dealers, distributors, or independent reps or relationships, mm-hmm. where, where you're trying to manage. So, so in other words, um, you bring on a distributor, and they agree that they're going to sell for the first year. They're going to take on this line, and they're going to achieve uh, $500,000 for, let's say, the first year. So past the honeymoon phase, you realize you're getting into six months, maybe it's seventh or eighth month, and you realize, wait a minute, whoa, what's going on here? You know, they're, they're about um, 25% of their goals. And now it's like, okay, what do you do? You know, do you beg? Do you plead? Do you grovel? Do you say you want to uh, you know, provide additional resources and support? And you know, it's all those. You can try all those avenues. Um, yes, you can try that, and, and a lot of salespeople will do that as well. Uh, there are other situations where salespeople step in and have sort of that difficult conversation, only for that uh, distributor-dealer or independent relationship to say, well, you know, the economy isn't doing that well, or customers are a little cautious this year, or it's the elections and this and that, so it's just not a good time, or you know, I got other challenges or priorities that I have to co- – excuses or this or that. So what we're doing in this book is how do we actually manage the goals, the performance expectations to ensure that customers stay committed, stay focused, and be accountable for their actions so they can minimize or eliminate some of these kind of difficult conversations that take place down the road. Does that make sense? That's yeah, so, so yeah, so give me some meat in terms of what that would look like. So, uh, one of the things would be as we were just working with a salesperson uh, on this very same issue, and it was all about um, the, 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 the dealer started um, complaining about uh, it was the, the market, it was in the agricultural marketplace. And he was saying because of the commodity prices down, uh, that um, things weren't moving, so it was really out of his control. So he got into engaging um, the customer, and he said, okay, I, do, I, I understand where you're coming from, and I realize that it's going to be a challenge. So let me ask you, because that's a, you've dealt with this. You've been in business for over 30 years, and this is, these are kind of things that have surfaced in the past. Tell me how you've handled it in the past. 
See, so what was he doing? He was getting him to reflect on past actions when he had similar er hurdles and challenges. What did he do under those circumstances? So that got him to think. Number two, he started talking about, let's talk about, you know, a strategy where we can work together to get these numbers up. But he focused and he said, tell me, what are some things that you, you can do between now and the end of the year to ensure that you're going to achieve the right outcome? So the customer said, what do you mean? Well, what are some things you're going to do in terms of advertising? What are some things that you're going to do to actually visit some customers? Schedule some appointments, go out in the field, go out and actually have trade shows, these kind of things, challenging the customer to step up to the plate. That's what he was doing. Because what he was finding out with this particular dealer distributor was this was somebody who was very much accustomed waiting and sitting by the phone to ring. So he was he and his and, and his sales force were in the reactive mode. Mm -hmm. Had to challenge them to get more into the proactive mode. So that it was shifting gears and putting some responsibility on them uh, on this particular dealer distributor to take ownership. And that's and that's an important thing that we need to engage and understand our customers to get them to step up to the plate and talk about action steps. That they're good action steps in terms of time, money, resources, opportunity that they're going to commit to. Right. That's an important step before we step in and say, how can we help you? Because if I bypass that and say, how can I help you? What do you think somebody's going to say? Oh, give me more of this. Give me more resources. Cut your pricing. Um, give me more incentives. Cut back my goals, this or that. And all of a sudden, there's a risk there because then I start enabling somebody mm -hmm. and not empowering my customer. Got it. So yeah. the book, even though it's, I know maybe it's not the case, but just to summarize this, is you give examples have to do sort of with with channel sales. So is the book oriented more towards managing the channel partner, managing the channel partner, but also managing what I call those key accounts, strategic accounts. Okay, Got that's it. just as key. Why is that important? Because here's another example, Andy. Um, salespeople will get into a key account and they'll get comfortable with certain relationships. Here they think they become very deep and embedded. And then their big concern, frustration, or hesitancy is, well, I really don't want to be calling on other people in the organization because I may step on their toes. We've all heard that, right? Yep. And so what do we do? The point is if you have a really good relationship with certain contacts in that organization, you would think a good relationship would want to open up doors of opportunity for you. And yet my point here is that when it comes to managing these key accounts is we need to f either find ways to get these individuals to open up the doors of opportunity. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we're there to make them look good. We're there to give them recognition, appreciation, a vehicle, a voice, greater res resources, support, or ideas, or whatever. People who have trust where they really do feel we're bringing credibility, understanding, and can impact their lives personally and professionally are going to want to open up the doors. The people who are like, no, 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 you really don't need to talk to anybody else. We're the people who are in charge of the vendor management, the purchasing. It really comes down to us making the decisions. When, we, when you have those kind of situations and they do happen, how do you manage them? Well, you got to be respectful under those circumstances and not step on the toes. However, what we can do is we can still ask the questions to gain insight 
into their relationships with others, right. cohorts, peers, right. and people above and below. Okay, good. And uh, gosh, Paul, we're coming into the last segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my sure. guests. And the first one's a hypothetical scenario in which you, Paul, have just been hired as VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out. CEO is anxious to get things turned around, unstuck, back on track. So your first week on the job, what two things could you do that would have the biggest impact? Well, that's a, yep. You, you mentioned the stall. I'm going to need to find out why is there a stall, right? Okay. Um, we need to understand, and, and I'm going to get to the heart of the matter. So we're going to be understanding two customers, understanding our internal customers and under, understanding our external customers. So we're going to be having face-to-face and phone conversations with both parties to get to the heart of the matter to find out what is the stall. Is it an attitudinal issue? Is it a skill issue or is it some sort of market condition issue? So okay. I can't take any action until I understand. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. So some rapid fire questions for you. You can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish. <laughs> okay. So when you, Paul Cherry, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? The powerful, most powerful is, is the ability to listen and understand. That's it. I find that the key is I'm going to ask the right questions to, to connect with people, to find the emotional drivers. And that is, number one, are they looking to minimize the risk? Are they looking to gain a competitive edge? Are they, be, number three, are they looking to be more profitable? Or number four, are they looking to simplify their lives? Okay. Next question. Who's your sales role model? Sales role? <laughs> I would say Wayne Dwyer. I'll say him. Yes. Okay. Wayne Dwyer. Uh, besides any of your own, what's one book you'd recommend every salesperson read? Um, How to Be a Rainmaker by Jeffrey Fox. I really enjoyed that book. And also Neil Huthwait, Spin Selling. Neil Rackham. Yeah, Spin Selling. Okay. Yes. Uh, last question. What music's on your playlist right now? <laughs> I don't. Sorry, I don't. No, I don't. I'm sort of an old, old doggy when it comes to I, I actually enjoy the... Uh, what is it? Serious uh, uh, five, six, and seven, the sixties, the seventies, and the fifties music. I enjoy that. Yeah, that's that's always fun to have on your radio. Sure. All right. Is. Well, good. Well, Paul, thanks for being on the show today. Tell folks how they can connect with you and learn more about you. You can reach us at uh, PB Results. P is in performance. B is in based. Results dot com. And um, send us an email. Contact us. Visit us, and I'll be la- be glad to the brainstorm. Uh, any particular questions that you have and see if we're a good fit to achieve your goals. Excellent. Well, again, thanks for being on the show. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that is to make this take a minute and subscribe to this podcast, Accelerate. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Paul Cherry, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time. This is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.